You are back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio, Hawaii Talks. This is Catherine Cruz. You know, this morning we talked with Koi Mayor Derek Kawakami. Next week will be a big week as inter-island travel restrictions are being relaxed. And, of course, everyone will be watching to see how well everything goes. We are, as always, proceeding with caution. But, you know, at the same time, we've been grinding away every single day to, to get things lined up. Because, you know, it is a virus. At this point, we have to all understand that um, we're going to have to coexist with this virus by being very safe, uh, utilizing best practices, and, you know, having the necessary health care infrastructure and other necessary essential um, procedures in place. Everybody is watching uh, your island because, you know, you are relaxing the vacation rental restrictions and also the restrictions that were on bars. Yes. Yeah. I know they're all watching us. You know, we've um, gone for quite a while without any uh, new confirmed cases. Of course, we're talking confirmed. Um, But we're also watching the entire state of Hawaii to the relative safety on each island. Um, But, you know, at at some point, this uh, economic hardship that's being brought on, we, we have to strike the right balance. And so we're, like I said, proceeding with caution. Uh, most business owners understand the safety measures that need to put in, be put in place. By now, everybody should be um, pretty much well-tuned as to best practices when it comes to hygiene, such as washing hands and the simple act of kindness by wearing a mask. Yes, and keeping our distance. Absolutely. The vacation rental issue is something that the other islands, I think, are looking at, too. I know that there was a threatened lawsuit, you know, saying that uh, vacation rentals should be treated the same as hoteliers. So how are you looking at that issue? I don't like lawsuits, for one. Um, And I would disagree that, you know, vacation rentals are a lot different than hotels and resorts. But I'd like to also say in the same breath that legal vacation rentals, the ones that are bonafide and have a use certificate or operating in the visitor destination area are for the large part not our problem they are um, very well operated the owners are um, very much a part of this community effort and have been very compliant with our stay home orders and our act with care measures it's the illegal vacation rental market that poses the biggest risk you know fortunately Kauai has sort of led the way as far as enforcement, uh, setting up a good baseline on vacation rentals uh, for the ones that were operating um, a while back. Uh, there was a process that they could get a use certificate, um, but we pretty much put a cap on it. But the third-party platform businesses that have sort of emerged as a part of technology has made it's easy for illegal vacation rentals to operate, and that's where um, that's where it becomes a big management issue as far as accountability, um, as far as not paying their fair share. So for the legal ones, they, they should operate, but I would disagree that they are um, the same as hotel and resort. Uh, it's much more challenging to manage because they're not so centralized. But, you know, with our emergency rule, if you're legal, Uh, you will be able to rent out to anybody that's not subject to the 14-day quarantine. When Kauai had the natural disasters, you know, the flooding, and Mayor uh, Bernard Carvalho had put the stop on the vacation rentals and and was just really focused on the residents. Absolutely. During the floods of 18, that whole section of our island was essentially cut off. The highway was severely damaged. So in that case, it was a matter of um, public health and safety for the visitors. There was really no viable way to get them in and out. And it was an ongoing disaster. And that's not the time where you want to have visitors roaming about. And so it was the right call. And my heart goes out to that side of the island because they've been hit just over and over again, but they've been extremely resilient through all of these um, challenges. And this pandemic, though, you know, highlights some of those those issues, right? It's health and safety. Absolutely. It, it, it identifies our sort of our, our weaknesses and threats um, in dealing with a pandemic, but it also gives us a good look as to um, moving forward 
how we have to do a much better job as far as bringing balance to the visitor industry and the impact uh, and also the quality of life of people that need to live here and balancing um, our economic health. So it, it's quite a bit to juggle, but we were able to do it on a small scale during the floods of 18. Now, if you want to visit uh, KA State Beach Park, um, there's different ways that you can do it, but there's certainly a capacity uh, to that area. And we really have to take a look at our carrying capacity uh, on this island. Um, we're looking at how traffic has been reduced overnight and um, we understand that there's going to be some level of traffic that's going to be brought back but we need to make certain that we do things uh, to make sure that we're not back to to square one that we don't utilize this opportunity to make some improvements on our island how's the rent-a-car situation over there i mean every time i pass the stadium uh, parking lot over here on oahu i just um, i'm so amazed that we had so many rental cars on this island yeah, I think that was an eye-opener for uh, the whole island, myself included. Um, we've always sort of asked for a assessment on inventory of rental cars. Um, it was very hard to get, um, but this makes it very tangible when you see the amount of rental cars that are, you know, in uh, private property on vacant parcels, in vacant uh, parking lots at shopping centers. Um, it gives you a good idea of how many vehicles are on the road just from the visitor industry. And then what about the bars? Because you are also allowing bars to operate uh, next week. Yeah, you know, Kauai only has two, I guess what you would would say, um, by definition, um, for our rules as, as, you know, standalone bars. Uh, We have a lot of uh, restaurants with bars in them. But at this point, um, if they can apply sort of what the restaurant and the food industry is applying, they should be relatively safe. Of course, there's um, some challenges because if you have people that love to cut the rug, like I do, and dance <laughs> when we go to these places, uh, that may be a challenge. Uh, that's something that we are, uh, I'd have to double check if we're uh, explicitly prohibiting it. That's one of the gray areas that we were left off on. But um, as far as people getting together in a safe and responsible manner, um, it should be relatively safe. Of course, you know, alcohol does have uh, an impact on individuals' judgment. And so we're asking people to consume uh, responsibly and with moderation. Right. Safety first. Absolutely. Now, there are uh, lots of uh, discussions going on about uh, uh, the CARES Act funding and, and how we need to, you know, spend it uh, and spend it quickly, but spend it wisely. Uh, so what's Kauai doing? Well, we just um, got our CARES Act money from Governor Ige, so we're very thankful. And, of course, we're very thankful to our congressional delegation, you know, led by Senator Schatz for making this happen. And so we just got it approved through our council. And basically, you know, we're focusing on a number of things. One, direct COVID-19 response. Um, and that would be anything to deal with the increase of necessary PPE. We're also looking at partnering to make sure that children have the appropriate childcare. And we know that that's not our bread and butter business, but we're looking at ways that we can add capacity to existing nonprofits and institutions that specialize in, in childcare. And we're also looking at ways where we can sort of create um, like uh, I think it was President Roosevelt created his Conservation Corps. Uh, we're sort of, you know, throwing um, that into the mix because we understand that it's going to be a while before the visitor industry gets back up and running to where all of the employees that have not been able to work will be at work. And so we want to utilize some of that CARES Act money to temporarily put people to work on the number of um a number of infrastructure, a number of uh, conservation projects. Um, and of course, uh, that's always a work in progress. But what we most certainly want to do is to make sure that we are not uh, being redundant with um, state and federal aid as well. Uh, so we want to make sure that we're not doing the same thing twice. Is there anything that you're doing specifically for uh, agriculture? Because you know, yes, we're doing a number of things uh, dealing with agriculture. Uh, that's, in fact, one of the 
sectors that we're really looking to to boost as far as economic diversification. Um, some of it is carryover from the Rain 18 money. If you can believe it or not, we still have a balance that we need to spend down. We're taking a look at ways where we can help out with the infrastructure that's critical for agriculture and also creating branding programs and also shop local programs. And then we, um, in our Office of Economic Development, they've been working directly with the ag sector to make sure that we can help fill in any gaps that they may have um, and so on and so forth. You know, we will hear more from Kauai's mayor a little later in the program, but uh, right now let's take a look at what's happening around the globe. England's economy shrinks by 20%. Sources in Burundi say that the nation's president died of COVID-19. And Australia begins to reopen its stadium to spectators. Here's the BBC. This is the Coronavirus Global Update on Friday the 12th of June. Hello, I'm Oliver Conway. The British economy shrinks by 20%. Sources in Burundi confirm the president died after catching COVID-19. And Australia will reopen stadiums to spectators. The UK's economy shrank by 20% in April, the first full month of lockdown here. The figures from the Office for National Statistics were worse than many experts had forecast. But the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says he isn't surprised by the downturn. We've always been in no doubt this was going to be a very serious public health crisis, but also had big, big economic knock-on effects. And the UK is heavily dependent on services. We're a dynamic, creative economy. We, we depend so much on, on human contact. We have been very badly hit by this, but we're also amazingly resilient and creative. We will bounce back. India has overtaken Britain to become the country with the fourth highest number of confirmed coronavirus cases. Almost 11,000 new infections were recorded today, a record high, taking the total to just under 300,000. As India continues to ease lockdown restrictions and restart its economy, further spikes are expected. This doctor, Harjit Singh Bharti, is critical of the way the outbreak has been handled. What we were expecting from the lockdown is the first thing is that we will try to break the chain of infection, means we will try to break the spread. And for that, what was needed is to do extensive testing. But now what we have seen that the lockdown was very unplanned. Sources close to the late president of Burundi have confirmed that he died after becoming infected with coronavirus. Pierre Nkurunziza, who had played down the threat from the pandemic and ignored health advice, died on Monday. Government officials blamed a heart attack. And Soy reports. In the final hours of his life, Pierre Nkurunziza is reported to have sought the help of Burundi's top doctors. Those close to him at the time have told SOS Media that his medical team was not prepared to deal with COVID-19. They didn't even test him for it when he first got symptoms. But a team of specialists was quickly assembled as the president's health deteriorated. They scrambled to fly a ventilator to Carusi, where he was admitted. But it was too late. The Italian Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte has been questioned by prosecutors over his government's initial response to the outbreak and whether it was criminally negligent. Mr Conte was interviewed for three hours by officials from Bergamo in northern Italy. Prosecutors want to know why two nearby towns weren't locked down earlier. A hospital in the United States has carried out a double lung transplant on a woman in her 20s whose lungs were destroyed by coronavirus. She'd been on a ventilator for six weeks. The procedure at Northwestern Memorial in Chicago is thought to be the first in the US for a patient who has recovered from COVID-19. The UK government has been taken to court by three airlines, British Airways, Ryanair and EasyJet, over its decision to quarantine travellers coming into Britain. Arriving passengers must self-isolate for two weeks. The government insists the measure is needed to protect public health. Here's Theo Leggett. The three airlines say the quarantine policy, which came into force on Monday, will have a devastating impact on British tourism and the wider economy and will destroy thousands of jobs. They've applied for a judicial review at the High Court. Their challenge claims the rules for travellers are now more stringent than those applied to people who've actually been infected with COVID-19, who currently have to isolate themselves for just seven days. They insist there was no prior consultation, that no scientific evidence has been provided to support the policy, and they say it's preventing people travelling to and from countries with lower infection rates than the UK. Travel bubbles will be introduced in Thailand to try to help revive its shattered tourism sector, which accounts for around a fifth of the economy. 
Visitors from countries with low infection rates will be able to enter Thailand and avoid going into quarantine for 14 days. On Monday, a nighttime curfew will be lifted and restaurants can sell alcohol again. Finally, sports fans in Australia have something to cheer about after more restrictions were lifted. The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, said that stadiums with a capacity of 40,000 will be allowed to fill a quarter of their seats. As long as people stay one and a half metres from each other, around 10,000 spectators will be allowed into these venues. For outdoor organised events, sporting, cultural, for events in stadia or other venues of that nature, to enable attendance at those events which are ticketed and are seated and the, all the social distancing rules apply for up to 25% of the capacity of those venues to take patrons. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison. And that's the Coronavirus Global Update. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Chaminade University and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. How can the AIDS epidemic inform our response to COVID-19? I'm Ira Plato. On the next Science Friday, Dr. Anthony Fauci reflects on the comparisons. The mysterious nature, the more we learn about it, the more we realize how little we know. I mean, it's just striking. Going back to the future with America's doctor on the next Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Starting this afternoon at 1. A reality check today zeroes in on how Papakolea homesteaders are working to minimize the impact of COVID-19. Honolulu Civil Beats health reporter Eleni Gill joins us with the story. Good morning. Good morning. Aloha. You know, uh, I love how you start out your story talking about the community uh, park, that pavilion there, because I used to drive by there, and that place is a little hotbed of activity, people, you know, shooting hoops, just, you know, a, a big magnet for the community. Yeah, yeah, and hula halau go there to practice, and um, I spent some time there before COVID hit uh, with uh, nursing and social work students who go out into the community and work with the kupuna, and so when COVID really began in March to shut down um, the state, a lot of the programming offered by the local nonprofit there, Kula Nona Poe, um, had to be suspended, um, and so I've been in touch with them and, you know, it's interesting because I think they really got kind of a head start um, in terms of knowing the needs of their community before COVID hit. And that's really worked in their advantage when it comes to addressing these evolving needs, um, especially when we have to do physical distancing. Um, we're finding new ways to access medical services um, and so that's what the story is about. Yeah. So you were uh, what? Were just kind of uh, watching to see what those healthcare uh, workers were doing. Those nurses. Yeah. So Kula Nona Poe, they've been working in Papakolea um, and the surrounding communities, uh, the Hawaiian homestead communities, for more than two decades. Um, but a lot of their programming is involving the community. Um, they had this cultural competency um, program for nursing and social work students, and that's what I was initially following because I cover healthcare. Um, but they've also done years of um, health screening. Um, they've gathered their own data, and so this is data collected by and for the Hawaiian community there, and they really keep it close to heart when they design this programming. Um, but they, they basically, they're equipped with this knowledge about, you know, which diseases, especially among kupuna, um, are most prevalent, whether it's high blood pressure, arthritis, diabetes, asthma, cataracts. Um, they've also done an environmental screening survey where they found a lot of accessibility issues for kupuna to get in and out of their homes. So when COVID began, they they knew that they had to encourage everyone to stay home and stay indoors, but the Kapuna had a lot of questions. Um, you know, how do I get my medicine? And so 
uh, what program leaders, um, the Kupuna Community um, Care Network leader, Mahailani Austin, was telling me that they kind of turned into a call center um, where they were reaching out to the Kupuna and, you know, helping them sort of navigate this new normal. I love how in your story you talked about how a lot of the Kupuna, you know, love their canned food, but because of the the deliveries uh, of food that they're probably eating better. Yeah, that was really interesting. So, you know, meal delivery was never really part of Kulanonapo'e's um, programming beforehand, and we know across the state that, um, you know, Hawaii is a very expensive place to live. And so when there is more need for meal assistance, um, the community has partnered with a lot of private sector and nonprofit donors. And thanks to that um, philanthropic support, they have these new meal deliveries and they have um, produce boxes for those families who want to sign up. But they also do um, lunch deliveries to the Kupuna three times a week. And what they found is that, you know, first of all, just having a hot meal delivered to your door when you haven't seen folks for a while, it's really valuable, um, especially for Kupuna who live alone and might be dealing with memory loss. But the other thing is they, they've been getting, you know, ingredients that are familiar to them, like kalo or ulu, which is breadfruit, and they're receiving these hot meals. And in the past, you know, it's um, Mahialani was saying that you know they they do love their canned foods, but they realized, wow, I'm getting to eat all these ingredients in new ways, kind of creative ways, and it's been really encouraging. She's seen, actually, she thinks their their health is improving in that sense um, because of that. Yeah. You also uh, looked at how the, uh, the uh, community kind of uh, knew kind of the financial. Uh, situation of, of the folks that live in the neighborhood. And one really important thing that I thought was interesting that you brought on your story was that uh, that a lot of the the multi-generational homes, uh, that some of the Kapuna weren't eligible for, for some of the programs. Yeah, I think a lot of folks might be eligible but might not have signed up. Um, another thing that came up was they realized, well, because there are many people in a household, Kapuna might be automatically sort of crossed off of the list. And so um, Punike Kaoha and Adrian Dillard, um, who lead Kula Nonapoe, are working really hard to ensure folks who are eligible for services like Meals on Wheels um, will, will get those services. Uh, but there are unique challenges, and I think that federal poverty guidelines can only tell us so much about um, the true the true needs and struggles that folks might be facing. Yeah, interesting report. But thank you so much. Mahalo. That was reporter Eleni Gill with today's Reality Check. To read her story and more coverage on COVID-19, visit civilbeat.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, with a collection reflecting the cultural diversity of the islands and a commitment to presenting art and exhibitions that inspire. More at honolulumuseum.org. James Baldwin was one of the most influential black writers to emerge during the civil rights era and address racial issues head on. On the next Fresh Air, we'll hear an excerpt of my 1986 interview with Baldwin and hear from Raoul Peck, director of I Am Not Your Negro, the 2017 documentary about Baldwin that's now streaming. Join us. This afternoon at 3, following Science Friday. We return to a conversation we started this morning with Koi Mayor Derek Kawakami. We talked about how the Garden Isle has been dealing with the prospect of a gradual economic reopening. With a decrease in tourism overall, the island's businesses have struggled to stay afloat and turn a profit. Mayor Kawakami says that the current moment is a chance for the island's residents to support their own local economy and explore the possibility of a more sustainable, self-reliant future. People need to, to the best of their ability support our local economy. I think, um, you know, I came from the grocery business, and so I really understand um, how vulnerable we are to any disruption in our supply chain, whether it be a dock strike or, like you saw, some plant shutdowns during this pandemic. The more food that we can start to produce and finish here on island, um, the better we can be able to feed our people and not have to be so reliant. And 
the closer you are to the food that's grown, the healthier it is. And so uh, we're really hoping to utilize this opportunity to be able to really bring back uh, what we used to be, I think, when my parents and my grandparents were growing up. They were much more self-reliant. You also have a portion of the money going to nonprofits to help deal with things like mental health and domestic violence. Yes. And um, so there is going to be a grant application process through our Office of Economic Development. Um, These applications will be vetted through what I would call a blue ribbon panel. And um, so what that does is it helps to uh, create a level playing field. And, you know, I've always tried to remove myself and operate at arm's length when it comes to grant approvals. And it's, um, I think it's just a best practice in any sort of administration to make sure that the best and most worthy organizations are getting the support because we have a limited amount of resources to go around. And, um, and that way, it's a good, clean process. Um, and of course, you know, all of this money that's being spent uh, will be audited at the end. And so all of our departments and our team has to be very mindful every step of the way to be accountable for every penny that's being spent. Because this health crisis is attached at the hip to the economic crisis, uh, families are, are having more problems, you know, paying bills. Uh, what's the situation for the homeless population there on the island? You know, the, the homeless and houseless population um, continue to... Um, utilize some of our campgrounds uh, during this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, You know, it really boils down to um, a a myriad of factors. One, it could be that many families, and this is the case, are just down and out. You know, a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck, and some folks fall on hard times, and they end up out on the streets. Uh, On the other side of the coin, there is a large amount of our houseless population that is suffering from uh, mental challenges and mental illness. And so for a few years, I've been pushing hard um, for the legislature to allow Kauai County to be sort of a pilot and allow um, psychologists to have limited prescriptive authority under the guidance of a psychiatrist to be able to prescribe and treat the most severe and well-known mental illnesses such as schizophrenia, bipolar, depression, all of the mental illness um, cases that oftentimes lead to drug abuse and substance abuse, uh, houselessness and suicide. And that has been an ongoing battle um, up at the legislature. And I hope that this pandemic brings to light how much Kauai, and I can only speak for Kauai, is in a critical need for mental health treatment. We have a limited amount of psychiatrists that are are able to manage the monumental task of being able to make sure that people that want to be treated and are willing to be treated can get treated. Are you allowed to use some of that money for shelters at all? I will have to check. I know there's a number of rules, and I'm sorry I don't want to answer with something that's inaccurate. Um, so I will have to check. Now, um, we have to check and see also if that's um, the best application of these funds because we're only getting about, well, I mean, it's not only, but uh, we don't know how long um this challenge is going to exist moving forward because we're waiting for a vaccine that can get into a production level where, you know, most of our people can get a vaccine or some sort of antiviral medication. And there's no clear crystal ball as to if there's going to be any more federal support coming down. And so we just have to make sure um, that the money spent is going to be able to sustain for a long period of time if need be. Uh, We are uh, undergoing one of our Ohana Zones projects uh, at the moment, and that's slated to be able to at least open up um, by late summer or early fall. So we do have something already in the pipeline, but of course it's 
not going, going to be enough to house our entire houseless population. And then, of course, you have those that just don't want to uh, live in a sheltered type of situation. They um, have no desire um, to comply with the rules and regulations that go with some of these facilities. So that further complicates things as well. Is there anything else you want to add just about the uh, focus on law enforcement, you know, with the demonstrations that we saw in the last week or so? It's heartbreaking. You know, sometimes growing up on Kauai, in an island like Kauai, it's sort of, you're sort of living in a sheltered bubble. And I, I say this because I was in high school when they had the riots in California um, during the Rodney King um, situation. And I can remember for the first time um, as a high schooler, I was watching it on TV and thinking, oh, my gosh, this is, you know, my I have family that live in Torrance, California. These are areas where my mom and dad used to live. You know, my dad was a USC grad. These are places that I've all I've visited, and I couldn't believe that that was happening um, in, in our country. And so once again, um, to see all of this happen, it's heartbreaking on so many different levels, but uh, the fact of the matter is is that it's heartbreaking for our, our black community and for, you know, our minor, minority population to see... Um, to see this happen and these demonstrations um, were bound to happen uh, especially when everybody is already on edge and um, you know there's a fear of uncertainty and so this was a spark that sort of ignited um, this flame that you're seeing sweeping across the nation uh, on Kauai we're very fortunate that we have um, we've had demonstrations that were a very peaceful, very respectful. Um, Police Chief Ray Buck and myself actually reached out to the organizers to say, hey, um, let us help you and accommodate you and make sure that you folks are safe and able to exercise your constitutional rights. And we also sent out reminders that please, you know, we're still uh, during a time of pandemic uh, we need for you folks to exercise caution. So the one that I went to at the historic county building, I'd say a large majority, in fact, um, most people were wearing masks. Of course, social distancing um, was a challenge, especially for those folks that wanted to be uh, seen sort of in the front few rows. Um, but the fact that people were wearing masks helps to mitigate the risk if people were able to socially distance um, six feet that would have added another measure but during these type of emotional times um, that that's something hard uh, to manage but uh, with everybody wearing masks it was um, absolutely from my point of view um, something that I, I would say was uh, a, a good practice of keeping each other safe during a demonstration yeah I think the message about masks keeping other people safe and if you may be potentially ill whether it's a cold or flu or uh, COVID-19 or just you know you got a lot of allergies I think we've gotten the message that when you wear a mask you're telling people that you care you know that you care about other people and in that sense because we have um, aloha as more than a word but a way of life most people are inclined to deal with the discomfort of wearing a mask because you're telling the other person, hey, I may not even know you, but I care about you. And that was Kauai Mayor Derek Kawakami talking about staying safe as Kauai uh, gradually uh, reopens its economy there on the Garden Isle during COVID times. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Anchor Systems Hawaii. Since 1997, providing foundation construction and repair services for homes, including retaining walls, slab leveling, and pool shoring. More at AnchorSystemsHawaii.com. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. 
Hello, I'm Jane Hirschfield, author of Ledger, a book of poems. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about how poems sustain and expand us in turbulent times. Sunday morning at 10. You know, we touched on mental health, uh, talking with Kauai's mayor. Now HPR's Noe Tanigawa joins us live to dive deeper into this undercurrent in our community. Good morning, Noe. Hey, good morning, Catherine, and thanks for that interview with Mayor Kawakami. I noticed Kauai people are feeling pretty good about their mayor these days. I did not know that they only had two bars, two standalone bars there on that island. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot to learn about that great island. Yes. I'm proud of them. And, you know, the mental health situation, I'm sure they're preparing for it there on Kauai. They've been so good about anticipating problems. And we've been hearing about this here um, at least since February. Uh, The state homeless director, Scott Morishige, mentioned that they are preparing for mental and behavioral health challenges. They're trying to beef up the services community. And in May, the World Health Organization drew attention to it as well. Um, Today, there was an article in The Atlantic, right, about the particular challenges that millennials might be facing with uh, perhaps depression or, um, you know, just turbulent times in their lives. Yeah, that was so interesting. That was really interesting. The millennials, ah. I know they've been through a lot. I mean, the oldest ones of them, I mean, were born after 9-11. They, uh, you know, they had, were through two wars, Iraq and Afghanistan. They had, they were kind of graduating into the last recession that we had. And now look, so there's a lot out there. And Greg Payton, CEO of Mental Health Kokua, uh, was telling me that People may not notice that increased stressors are all around and affecting them. If there's a family member experiencing what appears to be a mental health issue, and this is kind of new because it's just surfacing during this time, it may be just that they're under a lot of stress. It could mean something more serious. Oftentimes people do feel, what am I supposed to do for my kids, for my parents? Uh, you call that the sandwich generation where you're kind of, you have your parents on one end that you're trying to take care of and your kids on the other. What am I supposed to do? Think of now with return to work. How dense is the office going to be? How many people are going to be there? Am I going to have to wear a mask? Is there going to be hand sanitizers there? That's the new normal is that level of worry about just day-to-day operations. Uh, Peyton recommends NAMI Hawaii, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. He said that's a great place to look for some help, and they've got a pretty good web page. He recommends also Aloha United Way. You can just call them on the phone, the 211 helpline. I did check that out, and they are definitely there. I mean, Catherine, I remember you interviewed a New York doctor, a young, he was maybe interning in New York. And yes. He talked about how unexpectedly he did actually feel the need to call someone. Yeah, it, 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 everybody's stressed out. Everybody is. Mm-hmm. And people are just realizing now that this COVID-19 is, situation is long-term. So, you know, some issues really do have to get dealt with, like the stress. Um, you know, with this new normal that we've got here, I mean, how are you coping, Catherine? Oh, I swim every day. <laughs> that That's really? the way I, I de-stress, yeah. You get out into the ocean, and, and yeah, I know. You have to, have to. Mm-hmm. Everybody's really finding ways to build those kinds of outlets into their, you know, um, into their daily lives. And some people are trying meditation, it turns out. You know, a few years ago, Forbes Business Magazine published an article about scientifically proven benefits of meditation. They put it out in 2016. And what they charted was improved cognition, as you kind of expect. I mean, that you have heard that before, but also things like they concluded meditation reduces implicit age and race bias. I mean, it has these corollary effects that we didn't expect. And that's kind of what Jimmy Toyama is all about. He's, you know, a member of the community, former state worker. He says the corollary benefits of meditation and mindfulness um, are really important. He's the founder of Mindful Hawaii, and they've got, you know, a growing list of now 800 on, on their email list. Mindfulness is not just about personal benefits. It's about transforming society. Whatever form of practice people take up is to move it wider and deeper into our community on the assumption that when more and more people get involved with mindfulness practices, it will shift the foundation of our culture. 
it sets a nice foundation for transformation, if you will. People are finding that as an easy way to better themselves, their health, their well-being. But more importantly, from my perspective, is that when more and more people get involved in these mindfulness practices, they become more attuned to other people. You know, they develop this capacity for becoming more empathetic. And then out of that comes this compassion or love, if you will. The real transformation will take place when we ourselves get in touch with our deeper selves. <laughs> I mean, imagine that. Getting in touch with our deeper selves. I mean, I don't know how many bucket lists that's on. But it could be something that we could do. And what the case he's making is that it's actually good for society for us to have that a goal. I mean, uh, have you ever tried meditation, Catherine? Yes, and, and just recently um, picked it up again through a hula class. And so it was just mm. really interesting to, you know, to focus on your breathing, uh, you know, just calm, calm yourself down. <laughs> but how did it's it come helpful. up in a hula class? Uh, one of the um, uh, Halal members, uh, you know, really got into hula and offered it uh, on the back end of a hula class, like, oh, you know, let's try this. And it, it, it was <laughs> very, yeah, very, very mindful, uh, you know, it w worked in H Hawaiian values. So uh, very, very um, beneficial. Oh, oh, and so what did you do? You you sat cross-legged or, I mean, I don't well, know. We just sat on our chairs and he mm -hmm. hit a gong and we focused on a spot on the uh uh, on the floor, and it, it was just fascinating to hear just the experiences of people. You know, I just envisioned myself being uh, up in the air uh, with the astronauts, kind of looking down, you know, on Earth, uh, and and just just calming myself down. So it really does take you. It takes you out of your place into a different space. Oh, that is just cool. You know that imagery you had, Catherine, because you know the. That's the way some people do it. That there are guided meditations, they call it, where they kind of talk about imagery that you can pass through your mind. I mean, it's, it's interesting. The Mindful Hawaii website is out there, and they're listing all types of various mindfulness practitioners. I mean, everything from forest bathing, you know, yes. to weekend retreats and, and transcendental meditation. There's a branch here as well. Um, you know, people are really trying this stuff. And there are, you can also watch maybe a life hack video about how to meditate on YouTube. I mean, if that's the way that's going to get you started, you know. But um, your uh, neighbor there, Greg Pye, yes. hosts a, uh, an online uh, meditation group. I believe it's now online out of the Palola Zen Temple. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. so there, and there are lots of apps out there, too. <laughs> so if people are, are interested, there, there are a lot of resources to get started on this. Exactly. Uh, you know, uh, Calm is one that's a kind of an interesting app. Um, you know, it, over 40, 50 million downloads out there. They say you'll be able to sleep better, less stress. There's a lot of guidance on that app. It costs about $70 a year. But there's also a free meditation app. It's called Smiling Mind. It was developed by psychologists and educators. It's free. I have not checked that out. Maybe you might want to. But the main thing Toyama did say was you got to do it. You can't just read about it. Yeah, try it. You might like it. It might calm you down. <laughs> <laughs> well, All that's right. just so neat that you tied it in with a hula class. Yeah, it was uh, uh, a, a wonderful experience and, and certainly uh, helps during this very stressful time. But thank you so much, Noe. Thank you, Catherine. Happy uh, Aloha. Aloha Friday, yes. Uh, that was HPR's Noe Tanigawa talking about taking care of our mental health during these stressful times.
consumed with COVID-19, but today we wanted to return to our Malcolm Mackay watch. We got wind of a new campaign that's just been rolled out. Take a listen. Mm, mango. Oh, what's this? Kukui. Meet Nick. He's out shopping for trees. He just learned a large tree planted in the right spot can cool the air around his home, lowering his AC bill by 30%. Now he's a little excited. Oh, yeah. What's this? Ulu Trihu. He found his tree. Trihu. We talked to Tamara Rigney with the Hawaii Neighborhood Forest. She's also the owner of Paiko, a floral shop in Kanka'ako. She tells us the focus of the Trihu campaign is to get people to appreciate trees in their community, something they may have already been doing as they've been walking around the neighborhood during this time of isolation. The problem is Honolulu doesn't have a lot of tree canopy and we're actually losing more every year. So we have about 20% tree canopy compared to like recommended 30 to 40%. So it's not the best conditions, especially since things have been warming up. So we're trying to inspire people to take action in their own neighborhood. So we're working with the Department of Urban Forestry. We actually got a grant to do this project through our business, Paiko, for a plant shop in Kaka'ako. And it's pretty much just starting with these PSAs, just kind of getting out into the community and having people hear our message. And we'll see where it goes from there. When we talk about neighborhood trees, we can mean the trees in your yard, the trees in your neighbor's yard, street trees, the trees at your parks and schools. We just want people to realize that they can make a difference, you know, if everyone planted a tree in their yard, it would cool down your neighborhood significantly and just make it a much more pleasant place to be in. So street trees are interesting because you can actually request them from the city. They have a hotline you can call, and ideally they would come out and consider your request, or you can plant your own through their process. But yeah, the city is responsible for maintenance of the tree, but you can go out and water it and try to keep it healthier because we all have seen some sad street trees. So (laughs) if we all take action on that, they can definitely be healthier. Now, I took part in a tree mapping project, and uh, it's in Kaimuki now and in in other parts of Honolulu, you know, Manoa. The citizen foresters? Yes. Yeah, I'm trained as one. Yeah, (laughs) and so it really does kind of open your eyes uh, to the variety of trees that are out there. There's a huge variety of trees, and there's so many more that would work well in our neighborhoods that maybe people just aren't exposed to, particularly native. So, yeah, it's cool to kind of see what people are doing in their communities and maybe go visit some nurseries to look at different trees that people don't normally think of. So what else is involved in this campaign? We have an Instagram, we have a website, we're making stickers, we're making shirts. Hopefully after this first summer run of doing all our radio PSAs and all our social media paid ads, we'll have the momentum to keep going. I envision for the future taking out ad space and like shopping centers, doing some print advertising, pretty much just using marketing to really get people to value trees. You know, we use marketing to sell everything else. Why can't we use it to sway public opinion on something that's so important, like our neighborhood forest? Do you anticipate that there will be other programs? I know they've had, you know, tree giveaways, and the city was saying, oh, register your tree as you plant it in your ground, Mm -hmm. in in your backyard, in your front yard. We plan on directing people to all of the other Arbor Day tree giveaways. But other groups, such as Botanical Gardens and Trees for Honolulu's Future, are doing. We may have a small giveaway of our own as well. But there's a lot of groups doing great stuff, and we just hope to be able to direct people to them if they want to actually get their hands dirty or get their hands on a tree. Like, we're more the inspiration, and we want to give people the information they have to take action. And then there's these other groups that are more have their hands in the dirt. Well, I know that uh, because of the COVID restrictions, I think there were a number of events that had to be canceled in April that were around Earth Day and and planting trees. Yeah, we had Earth Day celebration planned in front of Pico that we did have to cancel. So we're not exactly sure what the rest of the year looks like for physical events on our end. We may do something for Arbor Day as well. But what's kind of cool, though, is that people are spending more 
time on social media, so maybe all of this information that we're putting out there will be more well-received, and people have time to garden now. That's true. A lot of people have taken up gardening, uh, and so, yeah, whether it's planting a, a papaya tree, uh, in in the backyard or a banana tree uh, so that you've got food to eat, an ulu tree, mango. Totally. Yeah, there's different trees for so many different benefits. It's funny going to City Mill and seeing all the soil is gone because <laughs> people in their, are in their gardens planting. So hopefully they'll hear our message and be like, hey, why don't I plant a tree? Okay, there you go. All right, so add that to your victory garden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, anything else that you want to add just about this whole campaign? They can visit our website at treehoo.org, and that's treehoo with three O's, and we're treehoo on Instagram, and they can hear our radio PSAs throughout this summer on iHeartMedia station, and in July we're doing some fun animated videos, and those will be on our Instagram and Facebook. And then how did you guys come up with this idea, treehoo? No, it's just something I've kind of started saying with my friends, mm-hmm. and we wanted this campaign to be fun and lighthearted. You know, we didn't want to be preachy. We wanted it to be inspirational. So uh, Tree Who just kind of stuck. Yeah, we're making shirts and stickers, and it's a message that people have been very receptive to. And it's a campaign that really hopes will put a smile on your face. Tree Who. Expect to hear more about it. And that's it for this Aloha Friday. Coming up next week, we hear from Police Chief Susan Ballard and from the police union about racism and speaking up when you see something is wrong. What do you think? Call or talk back line. Leave your comments. That's 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Post your comments on Facebook or Twitter. Our program is produced by Lillian Song, Harrison Patino, and Jerison, uh, Jason Ubai. The Backyard Quiz, written by John DeMello, and our theme music, courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday and pick up the conversation.